This episode is dedicated to Andrew Campbell for becoming our newest Southpaw supporter and helping to make this project possible. This is Sam. This is Chef Joseph. And this is Southpaw. On this episode of Southpaw, we have Chef Joseph Fontalera, and I believe this is our first episode about food, so perhaps I should say this is our first Southslaw episode. Welcome to the show, Joseph. Oh, thank you for having me. Yeah, no, I'm uh, really, uh, I'm like humbled that like <laughs> someone wants to listen to me. <laughs> thank you for having me. Could you tell our audience a bit about yourself, your background, and your restaurant? Uh, yeah, so uh, my name is uh, Joseph Fontalera. Uh, I've been cooking for uh, almost 20 years now, uh, professionally. Um, and recently, I've, uh, well, I, I'm, um, I'm Filipino American. Um, and I've recently decided to go into Filipino food. Uh, I spent most of my career doing um, contemporary American fine dining, Japanese, uh, uh, from casual to like mid tier to fine dining, like, uh, and most of the career in fine dining, but only uh, have recently decided to go into um, uh, Filipino food. Uh, so yeah, no, that's uh, a very, very short, short synopsis of, uh, <laughs> of of my career, I guess. How did you get interested in food? Well, so growing up, uh, we ate a lot of Filipino food at the house, um, you know, but growing up in the United States, right, uh, you're uh, bombarded by media constantly of like you know what what you typically see like the white american family enjoying right and then you go to school and um you know if you don't go to school in uh you know parts of uh the east coast or like in the bay area right and you're filipino you're probably not going to see a lot of other people that look like you right so you uh i went to school with um you know i was very fortunate to go to a very uh diverse school but the culture there was still very overwhelmingly uh white um and uh yeah no so it was just uh like i'd bring my my lunches you know this is like the the asian american uh uh cliche story almost right you bring your lunch and people are like ooh what's that you know uh and then you see what everyone else is eating and then you you want to try um you know you want you want to understand what that's like right so that's um i would say part of what like piqued my curiosity into like working with food um i wanted to uh be able to make these things that my parents uh did not, uh, have in the house. Um, yeah, that, you know, I, I, uh, was raised, uh, a lot by my grandmother. Um, and she did a lot of cooking and, uh, you know, I like hanging out with my grandma. So I, uh, just kind of fell into to helping her out in the kitchen and, and, uh, cooking that way. When did you start paying attention to food, especially Filipino food? I don't know. I feel like this is something that you, uh, you kind of know in the back of your head uh, growing up um, a Filipino person in the United States, right? Because like, um, although there are similarities to a lot of uh, different Asian cuisines and, um, you know, uh, some Polynesian food, uh, Filipino food is very, very um, different from, you know, most things uh, in the world, right? Um, and despite being the uh, second largest uh, recorded Asian American group, uh, ethnic group in the United States, 
there, um, at least when I was growing up, there's hardly any representation um, at all, right? So you have like all this stuff like from your family and your community, if you're lucky enough to have a Filipino-American, you know, community around you, um, you know, you, you see all these things that look very, very different, taste different, smell different from like everything that you're bombarded by uh, in your day-to-day life. Uh, so yeah, so you, you just kind of know that like everything is different. Um, now in terms of like me, like looking um, towards it, right. That took a very long time. Uh, like I said, I spent most of my career doing um, other people's food. There's kind of like a, I don't know. There's, there's, there's kind of like a weird thing, right? Like when you, when you do food, right? Like if a, if a white guy were to go and uh, open up like a, a pan Asian restaurant of some sort, or, or even like a focused Asian restaurant, um, like specializing in one cuisine, like they're heralded as like this genius. Right. Uh, but if like me, a Filipino person, uh, let's say like when I started my career, like 15, 16 years ago, right. Um, if I were to open up a Filipino restaurant, it would just be looked down upon like, uh, Oh, this is lazy. This is, uh, you know, um, poor food, whatever. Right. Like, I don't know that, that, uh, that idea like has always been in the back of my head and it was just slowly grew. Um, you know, throughout my career, like just getting shat on by, uh, oh, sorry, I, I'm cursing a lot. Is that all right? That's all right. <laughs> okay. So I, I, you know, spent a lot of my career just getting shat on by my colleagues, whether they be, uh, you know, white or even other people of color, uh, worse being like, you know, other Asians, just like, you know, Filipinos are dirty Asians or we're, uh, we're cheap or whatever. Right. And, um, like, I don't know, like, like our, uh, I think it took many years of like hearing that, you know, and like, I guess, uh, suppressing, like, um, how do I uh, put this? Like, like you hear that from the media, you hear that from like the, the mainstream culture, you hear that from like your colleagues, uh, and you spend so much time like learning other people's stuff, you know, and, um, and then you see like, uh, the output from the other side, like I see, I, I've definitely seen plenty of like white chefs put out really mediocre Japanese food. And then they get like, you know, all this uh, acclaim and all this praise for it, you know, and it, it's, it's objectively like not that good, you know? And I'm like, why is all of this passing, you know? And, and at the same time, I'm like, why aren't people paying more attention to Filipino food, you know? And then I found, uh, found out the fact that there's, you know, like, like I said earlier, like we're the second largest, uh, Asian ethnic group in the United States, but nobody knows anything about this. Right. And then, uh, and then 2020 hit and, you know, everything just like really, uh, imploded, uh, for me. And, and I, I thought like, you know, I'm in this really, uh, grueling, difficult career. I might as well, um, really do something that, is aligned with me, you know, and, and all of 2020 was like a realignment process trying to figure out like, how am I going to like, how am I going to do Filipino food professionally? Like, why, like, do I really want to do this? Why do I want to do this? You know, and, and like repeatedly answering those questions, you know, and, uh, and I think after a lot of time reckoning reflection, I, I came upon, uh, opening Booney Foods, um, and, and, you know, just, yeah, it's my mission now, just uh, champion Filipino culture and just just be there and like be present uh, at the table, you know, when when mainstream culture tells us that we don't belong, you know, and then out of nowhere now, there seems to be this explosion of, uh, of Filipino food. And it's it's awesome. You know, uh, we still need more, though. <laughs> now, 
Are different regions of the Philippines known for different foods? Uh, yeah, um, I, I feel like in the United States, um, mostly people know food from Luzon, which is where uh, Manila is, the capital. Um, but uh, you know, the food e- I, even within Luzon, right, like is very different. Like my grandmother, uh, she's from the north, and that food looks way different from like what you would typically find uh in manila you know and um all of like the the filipino party foods that uh, a lot of people you know, associate with filipino food like um karakare, which is a oxtail peanut stew or uh bring a little bit less popular but definitely um pretty popular that's like from uh you know uh the middle of luzon um very rich uh food food from luzon like you know that's the food that everyone uh in the United States, I feel like kind of associates with Filipino food, but you know, there's not a lot of uh, awareness around uh, Visayan food, which is like very, very seafood heavy, um, or uh, food from Mindanao, which is uh, very uh, as a strong Muslim presence, um, you know, and, and that food looks way different from anything else in the Philippines, and they use uh, ingredients like like coconuts that have been burned whole until they're basically ash and ground, and use that as a seasoning. You know, I, I feel like I haven't encountered um, through like my experience or research, like any other culture that does uh, something like that. What are staple ingredients for Filipino cooking? I feel like, you know, um, despite uh, having yeah, pre-colonization being made up of like very different tribes that all speak uh, different languages um, and are all, you know, independent of each other up until, you know, all of the uh, after effects of colonization. You know, the the islands are still like, you know, they all share the same, um, roughly the same like climate, uh, you know, and weather. And, and I feel like uh, the main differences are really like in altitude, um, you know, so like in, in uh, like my grandmother's uh, province, it's it's very, um, it's very harsh. And it's hard to have like the same kind of uh, vegetation that you would have like near the swamps or near, you know, uh, the seaside or any of that. Um but uh, salt, definitely, um, I mean, of, of course, cooking, you need salt, but salt is like very, very important in, uh, in Filipino cooking. Um, but it's never like, it's, uh, <laughs> it's complicated. It's not like a, a direct thing. You need salt to create all of like the fermentations uh, that go into Filipino cooking. Uh, every region has a different um, bagong, uh, which is a fermented seafood product uh, or, or fish product. Uh, example where my grandmother's from, they're usually made of the bagong there is made out of very small fish, uh, versus like in the Visayas and the Southern Luzon, it's made out of shellfish typically salted. So, you know, salted, um, you know, water animal product of some sort. That's, that's a staple that's in your house. Um, fish sauce, um, which again is a fermented, uh, water animal product, um, slightly different use than bagong. That's key um vinegar vinegar is very very key in filipino food uh soy sauce uh and definitely ginger onion and garlic uh i would say those are the things that are in every filipino pantry and um also despite the food not being very uh spicy in most parts of the country uh chilies chilies are everywhere so how did you go about beginning to think about filipino food as more than just yummy food that you grew up with but as far as its history and politics? Um, I think the first thing was just, I mean, uh, you know, 2020 pandemic uh, and like the rise in, in um, anti-Asian uh, hate crimes like were happening in 
And, uh, you know, like, I don't know, you like, you feel this like, like target on you. Right. And like, uh, we get, um, like all Asian Americans are getting like lumped in together into this one category. Like we're one, you know, <laughs> where there's nothing different between us. Um, and like, like that was like the first thing I feel like that, like really, um, like pissed me off and set me sent me on like this this kind of journey right and um that kind of went hand in hand with like how come again like there's so many filipino people here in the united states and how come like there's no uh differentiation you know and um so i don't know like all this frustration with everything that's happening in the pandemic uh that's like the first thing that got me you know because uh, <laughs> sorry I haven't, I haven't talked about this in a really long time, so I'm like stretching, you know, the back of my brain here. Um, I, I got furloughed from my job like right in the beginning of of the pandemic, and in that time, I, I was just making lots of like Asian recipes across the board that I knew how to make, um, and and I was like, you know, just trying to like uplift like the the small section of like the Asian community that's like paying attention to me on the internet um, in that time, you know, just because it, it felt bad watching the news and seeing like the horrible things happening to our, our communities. And then when I got into Filipino recipes, I saw that there was this like big interest, um, you know, from from different folks, whether the Filipino or not, you know, and then that gave me a lot of um, encouragement. And then it got, you know, got me to like rethinking like how come i haven't spent all the time effort and energy um into learning about you know my own culture right and so that got me onto um asking all of my relatives like um confirming things like that i've read on uh on the internet and like in books trying to confirm that with like my relatives to make sure like how uh, accurate that is you know asking my grandma questions uh, so that, that's kind of um, how that happened. And then just lots of practice, lots of reading and um, trying to recreate the things that, um, you know, that I, I ate uh, at all the various parties and, and, you know, in my home and all that stuff. Because, you know, again, for a long time, I didn't cook any Filipino food. And it, was, it was kind of fun. A note to our loyal listeners. If you love the Southpaw Project, please support us and help us get paid for our labor by financially supporting us on Patreon. This will give you access to exclusive bonus content, as well as our private chat group on Discord. Show your Southpaw solidarity, by supporting us, at patreon.com, slash, southpawpod. Now, how has colonialism and decolonial struggles impacted Filipino food? It's um, the mark of, like, international... um, influence is uh you know you can't avoid it in filipino cuisine uh at all whether it's um you know chinese influence or european influence uh or um even like influence from from south asia it's uh it's everywhere and um you know similar to like uh like tempura or like uh tonkatsu or or something in japan right there's like a indigenization of like a lot of stuff um so like like you'll see that show up with a lot of our recipes, uh, like um, our use of like pork in everything. That's uh, you know that that um, the, the use the heavy usage of pork definitely came from Spain. Um, you know, and then there's like a theories too that uh, uh, pork was was uh, heavily encouraged uh, because it helped um, 
you know, displace the Muslim population. Uh, prior to Spain, um, the Philippines was a predominantly uh, Muslim country. Um, still more research needs to be done around there, but, you know, that's, uh, that's definitely a thing. Uh, there's um, sisig. Sisig is a is a very very popular dish um, in Filipino food, uh, and that's definitely like a product of of uh, <laughs> colonial shit. Um, American soldiers were just throwing out pig heads and uh, intestines, and then uh, the people near um, where that was happening, which uh, was in the uh, Pampanga region, uh, people were saving the pig heads and then uh, doing a thing. Well going through the process of uh, making sisig, which originally was a vegan dish, um, you know, that, and sisig and kapampangan, which is, you know, the language spoken in that region, um, means to eat something sour. Uh, so it was originally soured vegetables that were grilled and then tossed into a salad, but then it turned into, um, you know, pig head that has been stewed, chopped up, and then marinated in, uh, in citrus and, uh, and then grilled and then cooked in its own braids. It's, it's really good. <laughs> I think something like even uh, Spam, I know for Korea and I believe also Hawaii, it was like this cheap food that was brought over by GIs. And then because of the poverty of war and colonization is something like a lot of countries in the global south ended up making a part of their diet. Oh, for sure. I mean, um, Spam is huge in the Philippines, too. Uh, it's it's one of the more popular options. Um, in So in the Philippines, there are places called silogans, which means a restaurant that serves silog. Uh, silog being a portmanteau of uh, the Tagalog word for garlic fried rice and uh, an egg. Uh, so you can order whatever kind of silog you want. The most traditional one is top silog. That's kind of the one that put it on uh, these kinds of restaurants like uh, on the radar, uh, being a portmanteau of beef papa, uh, sinangag, garlic fried rice, itlog, egg. Capsilog, right? And you could go to any of these restaurants and typically you could order a spam silog. Super popular. <laughs> and then have you noticed there are some dishes that are getting popular now because it's Filipinos trying to reconnect with their culture? Oh, yeah. So there's a, there's a chef. Uh, her name is Yana Gilbuena and she runs... Uh, um, actually, I don't know if her pop-up is still going on, but she was pushing um, for... Um, a lot of vegan uh, dishes in the Philippines because, you know, before uh, Spain came along uh, and like really pushed us to be eating a lot of pork, uh, most of the food was pescatarian or vegetarian, uh, you know, just because uh, animals were like, or work animals, you know, and uh, like chickens provide eggs and it's, it's much more uh, worth it to you to have like, you know, a sustainable uh, practice of like collecting eggs than killing the chicken. Right. Uh, that's only a special occasion kind of thing. Um, and then like from her work, uh, a lot of other, um, restaurants and, and I'm seeing this a lot in the West coast are popping up that are like vegan only Filipino food. Um, and, and they're kind of using the, the, you know, the same techniques that, uh, you know, we uh grew up with um but applied to vegetables um and and even like further like applied to native vegetables i think that's really cool that's uh that's a new thing that i'm seeing happening now let's go over the top 10 filipino dishes that you think people ought to know so number one adobo yeah so adobo adobo is like the um yeah the the national dish of the philippines is adobo um and uh 
it's weird. It's a, it's a Spanish word, right? But it's the, the national dish of, of our people. And it's only because Spaniards came over and saw what, you know, what, what the, the native people were doing. They're like, oh, that looks a, a little bit similar to a thing we do in Spain. It's not at all the same, uh, but, you know, <laughs> whatever, I guess. Um, adobo uh, typically means uh, a dish cooked with soy sauce, vinegar, uh, black peppercorn, uh, bay leaf, and garlic. Um, and you know, it sounds uh, simple, but uh, let me tell you, I, you know, I, I've been working on my adobo recipe for probably ten years, and I've only now gotten to the point where I'm satisfied with it. Um, and there's, you know, um, like like anything, right? There's there's a million ways to do it. You know, like like we discussed, like you know, kimchi by the sea is going to have uh, fish, and in the mountain, it's not right. In uh, parts of the Philippines, some places. Uh, you know, have a, a more soupy adobo with like lots of um, like stewing um, liquid. Some places like where my grandmother's from is known to have a very dry adobo with like a thick layer of oil or grease on top. Ooh, that's uh, that's actually my my preferred way. Uh, and then there are places that you know the reach of uh, of Chinese trade didn't didn't hit uh, the native people so much, uh, so they don't use soy sauce at all. Um, but yeah, no, this you know. Really, really simple, um, limited ingredient dish, super delicious, and and it uh, takes a lot of practice to be able to actually like pull off a, a really good product. Uh, but you know, it's similar to like pizza, where bad pizza isn't really that bad. A bad adobo typically is never even really that bad either. So I do like that about it. Number two, dinaguan. Yeah, so dinaguan to me that's uh, like adobo's uh, shadow. Uh, Dinaguan is, um, for whatever reason, there's a there's a lot of shame around it, and I blame um, you know colonization and, and white supremacy on that. Uh, but you know they they eat a lot of blood products in Spain, so I'm blaming this one <laughs> totally on U.S. colonization. Um, but uh, yeah, it's a, it's a stew made very similarly to adobo, but instead of soy sauce, um, the fifth flavoring ingredient is the blood of the animal that you're cooking um a lot of places will do it with pork uh, i think that is the overwhelmingly uh popular one and then places where the philippines was uh, uh muslim uh i think they use uh goat and beef um now i i believe you can't consume blood in a muslim uh like in in halal uh, tradition uh but you know the the folks that were in those regions that weren't Muslim were still, you know, doing, uh, using this technique to cook their food. Uh, it's really good, really tasty, really rich. Um, very, very, very rich. <laughs> um, and probably not so good for your heart health, but you know, good for your soul. <laughs> yeah. The first time I had it, I really liked it because it reminded me a lot of a Korean dish called sundae. Oh God. I love sundae. Yeah. I, I think I, I said the same thing, but inverse <laughs> when I had sundae. Yeah, it's not one for one the same, but it has like a similar vibe, let's say. Oh, yeah, for sure. Pig's blood is delicious. <laughs> um, so um, typically, like food uh, in the Philippines is eaten with rice, uh, but dinaguan is uh, eaten with a sweet uh, rice cake. Um, and then I, I've seen, you know, like uh, kind of like how sundae is made, right? You Sometimes you have the noodles in there, but sometimes you have like the 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 very, very short grain sweet rice. And, and that's where I think, you know, it's like a uh, kind of like an analog for each other there. Number three, silog. So silog is, uh, you know, that's breakfast. Uh, and 
I, I don't like like uh, when the star is the garlic fried rice and uh, and the nicely cooked egg, uh, which by you know like French standards would be like an overcooked sunny side egg, because the uh, outsides are frilly and crispy, but the inside is still you know the the middle is still uh, very gooey and runny. Uh, oh God, I I don't know. I I just I, I love it. I, I feel like I can't talk uh, coherently when I talk about garlic fried rice. I mean, I I opened up a, a restaurant that primarily serves um, different versions of silog, uh, but it could be anything. You know, I, I grew up eating like hot dog silog. You know, or like we were talking about earlier, spam silog. Uh, yeah, uh, just you know, you got to make a really good uh, buttery garlicky fried rice with uh, you know just the right amount of salt, garlic, and butter in there, and uh, and then a good egg to mix up with the protein. Oh, very good. But that's only part of it, right? Like, uh, you need something else there. Uh, you know, whether that be a hot dog or, uh, or like beef tapa, the, the famous one, tap silog, or, uh, or my favorite long silog, which is longanisa, the Filipino sausage. All right. Number four, ginatan. Uh, so there's ginatan and ginataan. Uh, and that, that means, Coconut milk has been put in it. And I feel like this is like, you know, my mom says ginatan is how you say the finished product. And other people are telling me, no, it's ginataan. <laughs> Extra emphasis on, on the second A. Um, I don't know, whatever. Uh, <laughs> both are acceptable. Uh, but that's um, uh, coconut milk stewed stuff. Um, and, and that could be anything. Typically, uh, it's um, seafood, um, shrimp and vegetables and squash. Uh, it's a really um, like a classic party dish. You know, that's not something typically eaten uh, every day unless you live in coconut country, uh, which is, um, you know, uh, recently just got hit by the typhoon uh, real bad. Um, but that's, you know, where, where most uh, coconut production is in the Philippines, um, where they'll, they'll eat ginatan everything like all day long. <laughs> but for everyone else, it's, uh, you know, more of a special occasion kind of thing. Um, but yeah, if I had to describe it, it's uh, yeah, like buttery, rich, sweet, um, coconut sauce, um, and and I don't know. It's it again, like this is the thing I love about Filipino food, and I feel like you could apply the you know my following statement to everything. It's uh, it's very simple, but everything is like very unique and and delicious. <laughs> so it's it's very vague and kind of I feel like lame descriptor, but I don't know how else to to say it. So it simply means cooked in coconut milk. Can you tell us then uh, the significance of the coconut tree? Oh, yeah. So the coconut tree is, um, you know, it's the tree of life for most of the tribes uh, in the Philippines. Um, you know, aside from like, you know, high up in the mountains where coconuts don't really grow so well. Um, every, you know, like creation myth that I've come across, like involves a coconut tree. Um, you know, uh Coconut oil is used to like cook the food. Coconut milk is used to enrich stews, you know, make dessert, make savory things. Um, coconut husks are used to polish uh, and clean your house. Coconut meat is, is uh, used for you know, a variety of things. Uh, coconut, uh, you know, like uh, savory or sweet dishes, fibers from the coconut are used, you know, for uh, uh, building material. You know, yeah, it, it's, a, it's, it's a fruit. It's a tree that provides... Um, a lot for basically every you know tribe region in the Philippines, uh, and actually uh, there's a liquor called duba. It's a fermented. Um, it's a fermented thing that I don't uh, really know too much about, so I don't want to you know speak out of my ass here. But um, I, I believe it's made from like the sap of the coconut tree. 
Um, and, and actually that uh, method made its way to Mexico and they make Duba um, not too far from the birthplace of tequila. So there's some research being done to see like if, uh, you know, who came first and if tequila came from Duba. Number five, sig sig. This is one of my favorite dishes, not just in Filipino food, but just in the world, especially the version that you mentioned where it comes from uh, the pig's ear. Oh, yeah. No, the best sisig is uses the whole head. Um, you know, you, you get the richness from like the cheeks and then you have the, the crisp of the skin and then you have that extra crispy from the ears. Oh, so good. Um, but yeah, no, sisig is... Um, Sisig's great. People from Pampanga, uh, which is just north of the capital, just south of where my grandmother's from, uh, you know, smack dab in the middle of Luzon, uh, they've been eating sisig forever. Um, but it only came uh, to popularity uh, ab abroad here uh, in the States, like I, I believe like in the mid-90s. Um, I, I, I don't know why I haven't been able to do more <laughs> research on that, but um, – in either case, yeah, no, sisig's great. It's uh, yeah, so it's it's thrice cooked pig. You typically take uh the pig's head, and then you you boil it um in a mixture of pineapple juice and um and then all the adobo ingredients, the soy sauce, uh, black pepper, uh, garlic, bay leaf, uh, vinegar, right, to tenderize it. And then after that, uh, the pig gets gets grilled, and you have like uh the the crisp skin all around, and then you harvest the meat, the eyes, and the brain. Right, and then you chop up the meat real fine, and then mix it with onions, garlic, uh, and and lots of chilies. And th that's um, unique to uh, um, Luzon food um, because Luzon doesn't typically use a lot of chilies in their cooking. Uh, so I think that's another thing that makes sisig kind of stand out and pop. Um, and then so yeah, you take all that finely chopped meat, marinate it in calamansi, the Philippine citrus, right, and then uh, you you cook it again in uh, usually on a sizzling platter or in a wok. And then you hit it with the brains that you took out of the skull, and that makes it like bind together in this nice, rich um, salad, if you will. Just you know, to save our hearts, I'll call it a salad. <laughs> <laughs> if you love the Southpaw Project, please support us and help us get paid for our labor by financially supporting us on Patreon. It'll help us supplement the cost of running this project, the incredible time and energy we put into it seven days a week. And you'll be giving us some breathing room, not only to juggle Southpaw with our day jobs, but also to expand Southpaw into other areas. Show your Southpaw solidarity by supporting us at patreon.com slash southpawpod. Number six, Filipino barbecue. And can you also tell us about the vinegar dip and what that's supposed to do? Because whenever I think of Filipino barbecue, I also think about that. Hey, now that you mentioned the vinegar dip, I feel like I have to expand upon this a little bit. So like I was saying, uh, Filipino food um, typically isn't very spicy. Um, there's only a couple of regions that, that have spicy food, but everyone else, for the most part, the food is very uh, well balanced and leans on like the saltier or like sweet uh, side. Um, and then, but, but everyone has chilies in their pantry. That's where the spice comes in is the vinegar dipping sauce. And I feel like that's like... Um, key like very very uh key to, to filipino cooking like the filipino table you know it's not um uh dare i say authentic if you don't have sao on which means dip um at the table 
Uh, and, and that's how people customize to their level of spice. You know, you can dip as much or as little as you want in the vinegar dipping sauce. Um, and then, yeah, it's uh, typically the local vinegar um, and, you know, lots of onion, lots of garlic and a lot of chili. Um, now, Filipino barbecue, uh, that's that's kind of a new-ish thing. Um, I mean, we, we've been uh, cooking food over, you know, open fire for a long time. But, like, the sticks um, in that, like, sweet, sticky red sauce, that actually came from uh, American presence. Um, and there's a huge uh, demand for ketchup um, in the Philippines at this, uh, you know, around when the U.S. was, um, you know, occupying. And uh, not enough uh, tomato. So a uh, there's a woman. Her name was uh, Maria Orosa. Uh, she was um, uh, among many many things because she did a lot for the country uh, when she was alive. Um, she was also a food scientist, and because of this like huge demand for ketchup, um, she was trying to figure out like, okay, there's not enough tomatoes in the Philippines to be able to support um, ketchup production. What can we do? And she, um, you know, the Philippines is uh, very um, plentiful with bananas. Uh, So she developed um, the the original recipe for banana ketchup. I love banana ketchup mixed with Worcestershire sauce. Ooh, that's a good idea. (laughs) I guess it's a regional thing to L.A. There's a couple of Filipino restaurants where they make this great fried chicken dish and then they give it to you with that sauce. That's a good idea. I mean, because uh, Filipino barbecue, um, you know, I was going to get into like it is, um, you know, they're, they're trying to create a uh, a copy of like American barbecue where you use uh, ketchup and various seasonings. Right. And um, so a lot of Filipino barbecue recipes will use banana ketchup and fish sauce and fish sauce is, you know, the, the progenitor of Worcestershire sauce, you know. So, <laughs> yeah. Wow. That's real interesting. Because it almost adds also that vinegar taste to it, but it's like not as strong and, uh, you know, has like a smoky flavor to it. Yeah, dude, that's a good idea. I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to mess with that a little bit. All right. That number seven, lechon. Oh yeah, man. Um, I feel like no feast, uh, you know, no, no special occasion is, um, complete without a lechon, you know, of some sort, uh, whether it's uh, what's getting popular now, the Cebu lechon, which is a rolled pork belly stuffed with the traditional um, lechon spices, or a whole pig, you know, that's, that's the, yeah, that's, that's the showstopper right there. Um, Yeah, I I don't know, man. I mean, I I feel like I have like a conflicted relationship with lechon now, because I think about, uh, you know, why pork consumption, um, became so popular in the Philippines when prior to Spain, it wasn't as, uh, you know, integral to the cuisine and the culture. Uh, but at the same time, God, I just like, I really love a uh, roast pig. <laughs> it's like friends I know who are Jewish or Muslim and, uh, they say like, oh, I shouldn't be eating pork. But once I had it, it's like, I can't, I have to eat it. It's so good. <laughs> and you know, the thing I really appreciate about it, especially, um, here in the Midwest, uh, it, it like there's definitely like uh uh like like the warm and fuzzies are created by 
by a lechon, you know, like typically if you're going to have a pig, you need a lot of people to eat it. Right. Um, so you're gathering like all of like friends, family, extended family, you know, everyone and their mother, you know, uh, like to the party. And that part is, is really cool. But as a person like making it too, you typically, it's going to take you, uh, you know, up to like 16 hours, depending on how big this pig is, you know, and like the entire preparation making that and you have to have at least a couple of people helping you and like you know there's the bonding there too and then um you know like like i mentioned like you know here in the midwest there's there's a fair amount of filipino people especially in the chicagoland area you know where i'm based out of um but it's not like la where there's like historic filipino town or like in san francisco or in daily city you know there's there's filipino people everywhere like no, like you get people coming out of the woodwork to get together to produce this pig and then even more people to come together and eat the pig, you know? And I think that's really special. Number eight, Filipino spaghetti. Oh God. Yeah. This is the, this is the take it or leave it dish. And, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, shout out to Nicole Ponseca of uh, Jeepney fame for like publicly saying that, you know, cause I grew up not really liking Filipino spaghetti. How do I love it? Uh, I, <laughs> it's, um, it, it's spaghetti noodles uh, cooked with or served with rather a banana ketchup and hot dog sauce and uh, cheddar cheese on top. And um, yeah, no, I, I, um, I actually, I grew up not liking this dish, but um, as I, you know, as I left uh, my home and started eating more Midwestern food, which is like very stick to your ribs, like <laughs> stuff uh, like, like, uh, goulash in Michigan, right? It looks nothing like Hungarian goulash. You know, goulash <laughs> in Michigan is macaroni, uh, you know, elbow elbow macaroni and chili and and cheddar on top. You know, and I developed a taste for that. You know, and then I, I like thought about it, like this is just Filipino spaghetti. <laughs> then I tried it when Jollibee first opened up here in uh, in in Chicago uh, again after not having had it for like many decades. You know, and I'm like, ooh, this is delicious. I love this. Yeah, so, you know, whether that, that sounds like your jam or not, I encourage you to, like, you know, uh, try it at least once to understand this weird, like, conflicting part of Filipino-American or just Filipino culture in general. Number nine, Halo Halo. Oh, yeah. Halo Halo is, um, uh, yeah. Uh, you know, the more I find out about this dish, the more, like, uh, <laughs> conflict I have with it uh, because it's um, Japanese in origin. Um uh, or at least that's how what a lot of research says. I, I don't know. I guess I'm still in denial. Uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, kakigori, um, that is uh, the shaved shave, Japanese shave ice, uh, which I believe uh, also papingsu. Uh, yeah, people who like that like papingsu, like halo halo. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, it's real simple. It's, just, it's shave ice and and stuff. But I think what makes halo halo different is that it's um it's typically a smaller format. Um, and it's meant to be shared between, you know, either it's a personal serving or it's, uh, uh, shared between one other person on like, you know, a big mound of ice and a kakigori that you share with like your entire family or like a, a pot being that you, again, you share with like a whole table. Um, uh, and it's a lot uh, more liquidy, uh, and, and a lot more dairy in there, you know, less emphasis on, on ice cream, more emphasis on like evaporated milk, condensed milk, uh, beans, uh, different various types of like uh, uh jellies and stuff and like local fruit thrown in there and flan you know like uh, it's it's so good it's like <laughs> someone just like uh woke up one day and it's like you know what, what are all the my favorite things to eat and let's just put it on top of shaved ice <laughs> like 
flan on top of shaved ice. That 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 seems like an excess to me, but it's so good. <laughs> Number ten, kakanin. A uh, catch-all word for sweets made out of rice, and uh, every every region has um, you know their their own like different uh, spins on it and uses different herbs to flavor the rice because you know um, no matter how fragrant the rice is, right, it's still uh, kind of a neutral flavor. Um, but yeah, no, I. I don't know, there's just something I feel like really special to to that texture, you know, and and I feel like um, you know, I don't know, like just I found that like um, like white people have have a a, a big problem with like a sticky rice texture. I I don't know why it's delicious, um, and I feel like that like chewy um, uh, QQ as it's called in uh, uh, Chinese. Um, I feel like I don't know. Why, I don't even speak Chinese, and I feel like that's like the best descriptor. Um, that that like QQ texture uh, appears in like everyone's food. Um, so I'm meandering quite a bit here, but I I don't know. Yeah, every region has like their own different thing, and it's it's so good. And and I feel like the rice, like like I don't know if the rice is a vessel for the sugar or the sugar is a vessel for the rice. Uh, but it's just it's it's real tasty, you know. And and my favorites include um, uh, biko, which is um. Uh, one of the more simpler preparations where you just take um, uh, sticky rice and uh, cook it with uh, brown sugar and coconut milk. And then you have a a reserved uh, coconut milk that you cook down until it's just uh, coconut curds and coconut oil. And so you use those crispy curds and top your uh, biko with that. That's really nice. You know, you have the chew, you have the, the caramely sugar from the dark brown sugar, you know, and then the crunch from the curds. Oh yeah, um, yeah. Oh god, now I'm just hungry because I'm talking <laughs> and thinking about this stuff. When would you normally have that? Would you have it at the end of a meal? Uh, so desserts are kind of a strange concept, I think. Uh, traditionally in, in Filipino food, you know, um, of course, getting uh, traction now because of like international um tastes and and preferences, I guess. But uh, like. Typically, you would have that as uh, as your snack, your merienda, you know, like in the middle of the day uh, with with a cup of coffee or a cup of tea or something, you know, or at the end of or yeah, like it's presented like at the end of the party, like well after everyone has like finished eating and, you know, is just looking for little snacks, you know, um, I feel like uh, kakanin is very, uh, very, very like, I don't want to say hard on the palate, but it is very um you know, it is very intense. You know, these things are typically very sweet. So it's hard to follow up um, a very rich uh, meal with something also equally like very rich and sweet. This was great. I think decolonization when it comes to food is about not being embarrassed or ashamed of your food, but to be proud of it and to know why you eat what you eat. Sometimes even when someone thinks they're proud, they only want to admit to eating those foods that are white approved, but want nothing of the foods they think white Americans stigmatize. That still affects your view of your history and culture. It's also placing U.S. whiteness as the default, as the norm, and yourself and your community as the other, the weirdos. Also, a lot of these same ingredients you'll find in fancy Euro restaurants, as you know. So that means part of the stigma is not just based on race, but also on class, which you spoke to chef decolonization as far as food goes it's about embracing food as love and love as service and food as nurture i think a lot of times we think of 
love having to be shown in these ways that we see on mainstream American television. It has to look like that. And then we don't look at obvious examples like food or the service that our family does for us or the way they nurture us and make sure we're fed. So we also have to think about that as well. We have to take off like that lens that we learn living in the US and think about it from the context of where we're from. However, you also don't want to reduce your culture just down to food, but recognize food as a byproduct of the conditions that made up your culture. As you mentioned, most of the Philippines lived under a lot of the same conditions, altitude being one of the varying factors, right? So this is why understanding dialectical materialism is so key to internal decolonization, but even more so to decolonial material struggles when it comes to land and independence. With all that said, thank you, Chef, for coming on the show and sharing your knowledge with us. Yeah, no, thank you for having me. It's, uh, yeah, no, I, I feel really like humbled and honored that you invited me. Thank you. Where can people find you? Uh, so find me at uh, Booney Foods. We're inside of Revival Food Hall in downtown Chicago. Uh, you could also uh, please give our Instagram a follow. It's Booney Foods, B-O-O-N-I-E Foods, all one word on Instagram, where you can, uh, yeah, 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 you see all, all of the, all of the food. Um, God, I, you know, I really hate the term food porn, but I, I guess, uh, <laughs> I don't know. I, I really fucking hate that. <laughs> um, See all the lovely pictures and uh, see see all the lovely pictures of the food that we described today. There we go. Yeah, that's good. And I'll put a link to all that in the show notes. Now that's the show. If you enjoyed this episode and find this type of independent media worthwhile, please consider supporting the show on Patreon. We have a lot more episodes like this one in the works, but need your financial support to keep the show running. Even a few dollars a month goes a long way. No one does what we do, and it's all being funded by you, the listener. In return for supporting us, you'll gain access to lots of bonus content along with our private Discord chat. Even if you can't support us, there's a lot of free bonus content there as well. We also have an online store if you want to show your Southpaw solidarity by wearing our swag. You can find all pertinent links at southpawpod.com. And if you can't afford to support the show and still want help, please leave us a five-star review wherever you listen. This makes it easier for others to find us. And don't forget to share your favorite episodes or the podcast itself on social media. Tell your friends. Until next time, goodbye. South Pulse. Hitting with the left. South Pulse. Sam. Paul. South Paul. South Paul.